0: This is the MMA Outsiders 2023 Awards show on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Oh, it's that time of year again. All the bright lights are shining. And it's not just because it's Christmas time. Well, it's now past Christmas time. It's not just because the ball is going to drop in Times Square to ring in the new year. It is also, you know, the red carpet's out everything here, Zan. It's the 2023 edition of the MMA Outsiders Awards Show.
1: Yeah, I mean, that means we've officially made it to the end of the so called season that was MMA in 2023, over 40 plus UFC events. Tons of Bellator events, a ringing in of a new era with the PFL and Bellator beginning in 2024. Tons of different regional prospects to keep your eye on. And of course, plenty and plenty more UFC Apex shows to come. Because what is a year for an MMA without dozens and dozens of UFC Apex shows? Am I I right?
0: Apex, Apex, Apex.
1: And uh, thankfully for the two of us, considering how much we are by and if the UFC will be going away from the apex in 2024 a little bit more frequently, we'll but we will discuss that in so much more on future episodes to come before we get into all of the festivities that are the awards. Be, be sure to like and subscribe. Be sure to follow the empty the bench podcast network across social media at ETV network. You can follow this very show at MMA outsiders ETV. Again, for those of you who don't know me by now, my name is Dan Bando. I'm a staff writer for BJPenn.com, and I'm also the newest Sunday news writer over at MMA Knockout. I've been there since October, so anything you need when it comes to post-fight fallout or post-fight fixes, I'm your guy for that. And to my left is my longtime co-host, Tom Alvano. You can find his work over at MMA News and Fan Side and MMA, and of course, in many seasons and beyond, he will, will be continue. You will, will continue to do the live results for the PFL website. So. Stay tuned for all of that from him. And so much more, you can follow him on Twitter at Thomas J. Albano. Tom, now it's officially time for the awards.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to do almost every one of the same categories that we do last year, kind of going in a very similar, if not the same kind of order. So we're going to start with some of the more niche -er kind of awards before we make our way up to the more, you know, well-known and, I guess global, you can say, kind of awards that everybody chooses to hand out, which are the more important ones. You know, your knockout of the year, your fighters of the year, your fight of the year. So we'll discuss all that later on this episode. And then uh, later on, at the very end, we'll do a little over under and make some little predictions for what is to come in 2024. But for now, let's talk about the best that there was then in 2023. And we begin with the coach and or gym of the year, this award goes out to, you know, the people behind the scenes and the people who help make the fight and train them and get them ready for the combat and all the awards that come their way. A couple of nominees that I threw out there, Zan, Eric Nisik, Dewey Cooper, Mark Montoya and Factory X, uh, Eddie, Cha and Fr- Eddie Cha, Francisco Grasso and Lobo Jim, Eugene Behrman. Uh, Mike Brown and American top team, Ray Longo and Longo, Sarah, Jim Zen. Do you, do you want to start with this one or do you want me to start with this one? I'll let you have your call.
1: Uh, I will. Um, I will take the lean on this one and we can alternate as we go back and forth between various categories. So it's good to me. So I will go first for the second consecutive year unofficially on this program. The gym and coach of the year goes to Eric Nixick, I'm extreme couture. As you guys know, Eric Nixon has been the longtime coach of now former UFC heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou and probably the biggest signee that the PFL has ever seen. This one to me is pretty simple. I mean, and this guy has gone through absolute adversity to get uh, Francis Ngannou to where he is today. He obviously got the biggest contract he's ever received in his life. And he, He's more than certainly a really, really big asset to PFL's future plans, given their acquisition of Bellator just a month ago. And I just feel like there's a lot um, riding on Knicks. There's a lot of momentum out of extreme couture, obviously with Sean Strickland now being the UFC middleweight champion. And you mentioned um, uh, very uh, subtly um, Eugene Berryman as one of the nominees. And I think that if Israel Adesanya had beaten and Strickland, I think I would have picked very, you know, over Nixick, but nonetheless, sick gets uh, my a uh, my nominee for this award, and I think it's very well deserved. And uh, I want and say congratulations to all of the nominees that made it, because this was a very difficult decision. But to me, uh, given holistically what Nixick has gone through, this was the right choice. What do you think?
0: And, Zan, for the first time tonight, we are going to be in agreement. I also am selecting Eric Nisik to be the coach of the year. I mean, I got to give a shout out to him. And, Zan, we brought up Extreme Couture a number of times during this year. I think Extreme Couture has been brought up by several, you know, several times with the UFC and the PFL. Now, obviously, with the PFL, they do have Randy Couture as part of their commentary team. But to me, I completely agree with what you said, that, it comes down to the successes and the quality years that Francis Nganu and Sean Strickland had in 2023. Francis Nganu, and we'll talk about this a little later, spoiler. The idea of him leaving the UFC, going to the PFL and causing all this shakeup, and then go and then going on to put on a hell of a clinic with Tyson Fury in the boxing ring, combined with Sean Strickland pulling up one of the greatest upsets. Uh, Not just of 2023, again, we'll talk later about it, but one of the greatest upsets in the history of mixed martial arts, seeing him defeat Israel Adesanya as he did on such short time. So you got to give credit to Eric Nixick and Extreme Couture for all that they've done. And I think Extreme Couture is setting itself up for potentially a very big 2024
1: yeah, uh, and there's no signs of slowing down considering one of their major fighters, Sean Strickland, will be competing in the main event of UFC 297 taking place in Toronto, Canada, against Streak is 2C, which I know you are uber excited about. That takes place on January 20th, and it is our signal that it is now time to move on to our next category of awards. Tom, um, what do we have? What do we have next? It seems like we're going in nearly the, the identical. That we went in last year to the next categories. Who to watch for in twenty twenty four? Tom, I will let you take this one first.
0: Yeah, of course. So this fighter, of course, I mean, this award goes to a fighter that we think has, you know, that we have our eye on, that we think could make some could make some noise potentially in the year of two thousand and twenty four. Now, if I remember correctly, Zan, uh, you had picked Raul Rosas Jr. last year, and I have picked Rikas Duplisey, and I think we've had our Fair share of successes with those picks.
1: Yeah, I I I think so too. And um, and I'm curious to see uh who you, who you have for this.
0: Okay, so this pick, Zan, uh, my pick for this award, actually, and I see it's uh somebody that we have. This is our first award disagreement. My recipient is going to be somebody, Zan, that we actually just saw very recently. Not on the two ninety six guard, but we saw him at the UFC. Uh, Card in Las Vegas at the apex on December 9th pulling off this, a very powerful very awesome uh second round finish of Carlos Hernandez my pick is going to be Tatsuro tyra I mean 15 and 0s and going he's five and0 right now in the UFC already has two performance bonuses and he's coming off of 2023 where he had a very noteworthy uh very noteworthy time in the arc in the Octagon actually he was coming he entered 2023 coming off of a submission of C.J. Vergara. And then he goes on to submit Jesus Santos Aguilar, get the decision over Edgar Chayrez at UFC 290, which was a hell of a card. And then, as I mentioned, the TKO of Carlos Hernandez. And right now, he actually just got ranked number 15 very recently in the flyweight rankings. He just got in, so I have my eye on Tatsuro.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a solid pick and he's definitely going to be a problem and someone to watch out for um, you know, oh well, obviously, you know, just, just getting ranked is a big deal. And I'm sure that he'll be headlining a UFC fight night at some point soon. Um, for me, it's a little bit more of a conservative approach. for the second straight year. I'm actually going to get my who to watch for a word. Uh, um, he, he's going to, he's going to retain it this time. Rob Rosas Jr. Again, me, gets my who to watch for a word and I wasn't thinking that I was going to do this, but I just feel like with the way the UFC has been hyping up the PI in Mexico, um, their their focus on Mexico, their focus on talent from that country in that region. It seems like they really want to see Raul Rosas Jr. be the poster child for that. And I I just think he has the personality. He has the charisma. He has the fighting style. He's super, super young. And he's not even Twenty years old yet I don't think, and he, he's just someone that I think has a really bright future. That I think a lot of people are forgetting that even though he has a little bit of UFC experience, he was literally just a high school kid when he made his Dana White Contender Series uh, appearance um, about a year and a half ago or so. So I, j- I still think he's someone to look out for. He's someone to look out for to ignite Mexico, and when and when the UFC does um, go back to Mexico City in in February. Um of 2024, and then again, hopefully later on, uh, later on in the year or during um, Noche UFC 2, I think you're gonna see Raul Ros uh, Junior have a major presence on that card, and I just think he's someone that I think can really um, ignite that region and get and get those people excited about their fighters again, because Dane always talks about the passion of the Mexican fans, or uh, the warrior spirit of Mexican boxers, or specifically, and I think that. Rob Rosas Jr. um, emphasizes that and could very well invite it. So, for those reasons alone, uh, Rob Rosas Jr., in my opinion, retains the Who to Watch for award going into 2024.
0: A couple other names that I threw in there as potential nominees uh, uh, Michael Morales, Lucas Brennan, and then some of the names that we saw with the PFL, you know, in PFL Europe winning the championships, because those guys are going to be making their way over to the PFL global stage. So you guys like, you know, kershed Kakarov, Jake Kasuba, uh Dakota chiva and even and even Nathan Kelly who headlined that card. It wasn't a title fight, but they've hyped him up. He's been in Bellator. So it's interesting to see what direction all those guys are going and and Dakota are going to be taken in for 2024.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the emergence of Nathan Kelly is only going to do wonders for the PFL considering that you know well, they they want to be more so an international brand and he definitely he definitely embodies you know the 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 i um the irish excitement around fighting he and he and calum walsh for sure so it'll be interesting to see you know how the how the pfl really maximizes ireland and makes it a a clear uh destination for fighters to go so definitely a lot of upside for him and plenty of the other nominees that you just mentioned
0: for sure we move on now to the 2023 most popular fighter of the year, Zan. This is going to go to the individual that we think has, you know, moved the masses, let's say, and has taken social media by storm, has all the hype and all the fans around him. So I threw, so we threw some names in there, Zan. Francis Ngannou, John Jones, Sean Strickland, Leon Edwards, Israel Adesanya, Sean O'Malley, of course, can't count out Conor McGregor, Islam Mikashev, Alex Volkanovski, Zen. Who is your selection?
1: Well, first off, before I give you my selection, even having Conor McGregor on this list is an absolute joke. I then,
0: yeah. understand, and uh, yes, and I and I, you know, swallowed my pride <laughs> a little bit, but you know, it's still Conor McGregor, and it's no,
1: still, no, I, no, I get it. I just liked it. I, I, just like to give you a hard time, but none the, n- nonetheless, um, I think we're both in a. Even on this one, my 2023 most popular fighter of the year is going to go to the newly crowned UFC Bantamweight Champion, Sugar Sean O'Malley. I just think the way that Sean O'Malley has been able to build his personal brand over the last five years is something special. Um, Him being his own businessman, the way he carries himself, um, just the way that he's always thinking about the future and what fights you know, will make the most sense for him in his career. I just think... He's someone that, that's light years ahead of all of these other champions in the way that he knows how to market. You could argue that he is the American version of, you know, of who Conor McGregor was to Ireland several years ago. He has kind of that in-factor where everyone wants to see him fight. And he's in for a really, really big year. He obviously has a huge first test against Cheeto Vera. I've, I've obviously gone on record in giving my early He picked that I think Sean O'Malley loses that fight, but if he gets through Cheeto Vera, there's a lot of options for him at Bantamweight. There's a lot of options if he moves up to featherweight even. I think this guy is the limit to where he could do things, um, meaning uh, double champion-wise potentially, that Conor McGregor um, never had the opportunity to do. So for those reasons alone, and as given his popularity and how excited people are to watch him fight. Sure. Sean O'Malley gets my 2023 most popular fighter of the year award. How about you?
0: I am in agreement. I can confirm I am in agreement. Sean O'Malley is my selection for most popular fighter. I mean, San, you know, even if you're not Sean O'Malley's biggest fan, and I don't blame it, you know, refusing to admit to the loss (laughs) against Chito Vera, the no contest that he has with Pedro Munoz, the controversial Split decision against Peter Jan, which I think was a nominee last year for Robbery of the Year, which is a war that's coming up for us uh, very soon. And you could talk about how Aljo had just fought in May when they were facing each other in August. Uh, But you can't deny what Sean O'Malley has created, as you were kind of alluding to. You can't deny that he has people in the palm of his hand. You can't deny that he isn't, you know, a character. And a character that people want to see, and a character that is really good inside of that octagon. And you can't deny you, that, you know his success when he ends up claiming the bantamweight championship of the world. You know, has everybody going nuts on social media. He we saw it again his drawing power uh, during that press conference uh, that took place very recently, well, this month. And yeah, I think there's already a lot of hype surrounding UFC 299 in Miami when he and Chito Vera had their rematch and weight gold on the line. It's it's one of the fights I'm most hyped for in the first quarter of 2024. So uh, it's going to be a fun fight. It's going to be fun to see all that built.
1: Yeah, it's definitely going to be a fun fight for sure. And he's definitely someone um, to keep your eye uh, on as 2024 it's going. And as he will be one of the early featured attractions in Q1 of next year and someone who you should definitely keep your eye on, especially if you are, and I am seeing this lightly, especially if you are a casual fan of the sport. Although him getting so close to UFC 300 worries me that he may not be able to make it onto one of these big summer cards, but it's either here nor there. And that'll be uh, worked out as it happens. Um, moving uh, moving right along, Tom, what do, we what do we have next?
0: Next, we have the biggest retirement. Simply put, you know, the fighter that caused the biggest shakeup. I want to say that's a surprise. Like, it doesn't mean that it is the most surprising kind of retirement, but that, you know, fighter with all their success or fighter with the big name value laying their gloves down for the final time. Uh, Some nominees for this one Fedor Melianenko, Amanda Nunes, Glover uh, Glover Teixeira, Mauricio Shogunrua, Benton Henderson, Rafael Sunsau, George Masvidal, John Salter. And I even threw the Zach Cummings, Ed Herman double retirement, which I didn't select, but I feel like should be like an honorable mention just for the nature of it and just the emotion that was indicated the from both of those guys laying their gloves down for the final time. So I want to give them a shout out. But ultimately, then my recipient is Amanda Nunes. I know Fedor Emelianenko is the MMA legend, the most legendary name on this list. I know Fedor had quite the success, quite the run in MMA and Pride Fighting Championships, and his work is kind of ingrained in MMA culture. That said, Amanda Nunes was, and I'd say still is, the GOAT of women's MMA, considering all that she did, you know, all of her paths, the winning streak that she had after that loss at UFC 178 and beating all the names that she did and becoming the first uh double champ double female champ in UFC history defending both titles as much as featherweight was kind of a women's featherweight was kind of a joke in the UFC defending both titles becoming the first UFC fighter to be a double champ not get stripped defend one title and then defend the other then it, it was just no contest. Amanda Nunes compared to everybody else after Chris Cyborg left the UFC. Here was everybody else. Here was Amanda Nunes. But I don't know if I should go that far because obviously you have Whaley Zango, Valentina Shevchenko. And I will say it's still a damn shame that we did not get Nunes Shevchenko three. But I guess obviously Dana just didn't want to budge on that one in spite of all, in spite of everything that said maybe it should have happened. But you do have Alexa Grasso and Whaley Zhang teasing each other a little bit about a potential unification match. So I guess that makes up for it. Nevertheless, all that Amanda Noon has accomplished, the fact that she was the GOAT of women's MMA and still is, you know, it it was was it a good time to lay the gloves down? If she felt, she had always teased it for a couple of years. And, you know, she's done all that she could do with the UFC, so yeah, I I was right. Time I give her all the props in the world, and you know what, Zan? It's one of the best success stories. Cause how many people get to say that they went out on top of champion, let alone a double champion?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a pretty remarkable little story. But actually, just a quick um on view the adjustment. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you, encounter you, and say that I think that Fedor Emelianenko was the biggest retirement of the year. And the reason why I say that is because. You know, I I still think that Fedor had a little bit left, I think that had Fedor won his last fight, we would have been talking about, you know, well, Fedor still, you know, being a part of some mega super fights. I mean, I just feel like I knew that eventually Amanda Nunes was going to retire, and it was kind of hinting at it, that Amanda, you know, was going to be starting a family and all that, so I... But I could kind of see it coming. Was I expecting it to be right after her win against Irene Aldana? No, but was I expecting it to be um sometime in the near future? Yes. But when you think about Fader Millionaire goes dominant run at heavyweight ten, and 10 years undefeated, beating former UFC heavyweight champion after former UFC heavyweight champion, never getting his fair shake when he tried to make a deal with the UFC to go over and fight Brock Lesnar. The things that he was able to do in the humbleness that he was able to display as a champion in and outside of the cage can never be replicated again. And I think for those reasons alone, million Emelianenko should always be remembered as the greatest heavyweight to ever compete in the UFC. And no question about it. In my opinion, he is without question the biggest retirement of 2023, because whether you watched him in 2005 or, or whether you watched him in 2023 He always still had that same charisma. He always still had that same impeccable spirit of just toughness and hard and all that. And I'm not saying Amanda had none of that. I just feel like Fedor had a bigger aura than Amanda Nunes did. And to me, as a hardcore MMA fan that's been watching this work for as long as you have, I have to give my credit to Fedor. We're credit to due. So for those um, reasons, I'm going to give Fedor the biggest retirement of 2023. But in terms of the biggest Women's in the main retirement in 2023, no question about it. it was Amanda man So I think those are two very solid arguments there. But that's another one, uh that's another one that we disagree on. So very, very interesting.
0: Yeah, I think we have more disagreements now on this one. Uh I mean on the on these awards. But my only issue with saying that Fedor is the biggest retirement. Well, it's two. One, we have seen him retire before. He technically did step away from the cage at some point. And two. Yeah, but step,
1: if- but, but he, here's where I would counter you though. I, I thought I took his stepping away. This in way that I took George St. Pure stepping away in 2013. That's, oh, that's how, that's how I interpret uh okay, that Fair enough.
0: Bit. Fair enough. But I think I disagree with you about he had something left. I, I I mean, if was he going to do legends fights, I wouldn't have minded that. But putting him in the cage with Ryan Bader, I I just did not think that was as much as I understood why they did it. It was his last fight, put him against the Bellator heavyweight champ. You know, I, I felt like it was inevitable that Bader was going to win in such an easy fashion that he did. Now, putting him in the cage against, you know, like right before that pandemic, they had him take on Quinn Rampage Jackson. You know, right. I mean, if you're going to do some legends fights, yeah, but that's not how Bellator kind of booked him at the end.
1: Right. I, I could I could see that counter argument there, but I think holistically, when you look at it career side by side, and I think depending on when you started following MMA, I think there are more people that resonate with Vader over Amanda Nunes, which is why t- which. Is, which is why, to me, I feel that his retirement was bigger. But I, but it but it does not take away from the fact that Nunes' contributions to women's MMA will never be forgotten. And I think it will be very difficult for any uh, women's champion, regardless of promotion, to get to the level that she got to over the last six or seven years. And, and who knows, maybe there is simply not another woman that will get to the level that she did, but that remains to be seen.
0: For sure. Let's move on now, Zan, to the robbery of the year. This is going to go to the fight that we think, you know, the judges got wrong. Or in some way, shape, or form, somebody got screwed. Screwed by judges. Screwed by a ref. Uh, through some some of these nominees, a couple of these nominees out there, Islam Makashev, Alexander Volkanovsky, Aljo Sterling, Henry Cejudo, uh, Macy Barber, Andrea Lee. I know that there were some calls, Zan, about uh, a different kind of fight in particular. I can double-check my knees here. Now, Lee versus Barber, that was the wrong link. Uh, Kaikara France versus Amir Albazi, that was the one. But I really didn't think that was too much of a robbery. I think that was a clear split decision that could have gone, fallen either way. But Zan, already looking at the winners of here. You have an interesting selection. You have one that you know I wasn't one of the few that I had placed in our sheet, and you even noted there that this is a bit of a hot take. Mm-hmm.
1: So I uh, I went to the well and I used the good old other category and I said the biggest robbery of 2023 in my in in, in uh in my opinion of course um and, and 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 I feel like it's one that is not being talked about enough. But Noche UFC one. The main event, Alexa Grosso versus Valentina Chepchenko. Not to take anything away from the fight. The fight was an instant classic, but to me, the 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 way the way the scorecards came out just, just left a bitter taste in my mouth. And I simply thought that 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 Valentina had done enough. And I know that there are some people that disagree. And I know that some people will say that Grosso's control uh, control time is what is is what won her the fight, but I just felt like Valentina was doing more and more to, tr- I had to finish Grasso than Grasa was doing the opposite. And I know you and I had our disagreements on who won this fight too, but I, I just feel like there, this was the kind of fight that left a lot more questions than answers. And it'll be very interesting to see the trilogy in next September because there's no way Valentina won't get up for that. She pretty much has a year um in, in, in camp to prepare for this fight. And I can hardly wait to see how the at fight goes down, especially in a neutral setting um like this fear in Las Vegas, that will be it that will be a sight to see. And I and I, I think there's a lot of unfinished business that I feel like the trilogy will decide. And I feel like either of these women will have to win in very impressive fashion to show that the end of this rivalry um is 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 near or is there, He's close because you don't want to get into a situation where you have um, similar to Moreno and Figueredo where you have them fighting four times and it it's a flyweight all together. So I think uh, this rivalry is far from over and for the reasons um, uh, for that and for the stakes alone, Grosso uh, versus Shevchenko, too, for me, gets the 2023 robbery of the year.
0: That is an interesting take, Zan. I felt that fight was, you know, like I said, you said it was an instant classic. I felt like it was a little too close that it could have fallen either way. I'm going to do something very interesting, Zan. I am actually going to go with a fight where I agreed with the winner. <laughs> Believe it or not. So my recipient is the Aljo versus Cejudo at UFC 288. Not because I think they got the winner wrong. That's the strangest thing. Is that I agree with the judges in that I thought that Aljo did win the fight. As did I. Yeah, right. We agree on that. But if you remember that episode Sam back in May I also pointed out the problem with the scorecard and that is and I have the and I have it right here on my phone I have it saved Derek Cleary giving the 10 9 fifth round for Aljo when Eric Cole and Michael Bell and I think the two of us agreed that Zahudo won the fifth round and I mentioned yeah. the problem with that was technically then if you flip it the scorecards then should have read at that point so mm-hmm. as, as what aljo won technically you know the fifth round being you know derek cleary pulling off such a bs scoring as he did so Hudo technically should have been the bantamweight champion fighting sean o'malley
1: yeah as did uh i think every single person in the prudential center that night that was very that was very confused so very very well i that you pointed that out. And I think again, that's another one of those fights, just like I alluded to with Shepchenko and Grosso, Um, It's, it's, it's now a common theme with, it, with these two fights specifically. And when that fight was over, it left you a lot of questions than the answers as to who exactly won. And, and it seems like we'll never know considering that, um, you know, well, there, there's a chance that the, both of these guys could be fighting different opponents uh, down the line and they, they may never meet again. It's it's one of those things where you never want to leave it in the hands of the judges, especially in a critical title fight like that. And uh, that, that's what you're going to get. And you, and you know this better than anyone. When the UFC goes to New York and New Jersey, weird things happen.
0: Yeah, so, weird things happen. And then how many times did we complain this year about judges scoring? At least
1: 20. Maybe, maybe, maybe more.
0: I'd say at least 25, 30 times. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on now from Robbery of the Year. We're going to stick with controversy, example, but we're going to go a little bit further. Not just an in-the-cage-after-a-fight kind of robbery, but just the most controversial kind of story or controversial kind of moment in this sport. So I actually said when I was going through this and initially listing some uh, nominees, I threw in like three, three Connor McGregor things. Because let's see, Conor getting uh, investigated for hate speech, which we talked about within the last month. Uh these sexual misconduct and all the rumblings that happened with the NBA finals game in Miami. Uh The whole thing about McGregor versus Chandler happening or not. I stretch with that. Zan, I would even say the US, UFC, USADA controversy with USADA breaking off from the UFC. But my recipient, San is going to be one that was one of the very first stories that we talked about in 2023. And that was the situation uh, at TMZ caught on video of Dana White slapping his wife when uh, at a New Year's party. And the reason I'm picking that one over the others is that, you know, Conor McGregor going to Conor McGregor. Uh, and then the UFC saw the thing. I mean, there's, the UFC is going to have an anti-doping partner. It's just going to be, you know, with the UFC's terms. But Dana slapping his wife. Zan, if you remember, that had made that didn't have as major implications as it maybe should have, but it cost Power Slap. It cost mm-hmm. Power Slap. It's TBS deal. It they ended up going over to Rumble because of that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be in agreement on this one too, and we were very open on our opinions as to what we thought of it. Um, if you if you remember all the way back to the January episode, I was telling you the best thing to do in a situation like this is to separate the promoter from the person. And although that was a controversial opinion at the time, that's exactly what happened because as we both know, Dana received no repercussions uh, legally, let alone uh, business wise. He did not lose his then uh, the title of UFC president. He's now obviously UFC CEO. His title has changed since then, but this is just one of those things where, where that whole week, you know, leading up to the first UFC Vegas show of the year, was it was very was very dark. It shined a, a black eye on the sport. Um you, know, well, you had you had ESPN journalists coming out and saying that they really weren't allowed to speak on it because ESPN was a TV partner. Everyone was really worried on what exactly was going on and how it was covered. And I feel like the biggest thing from this story is the the, the lack of coverage that this received because you and I both know um if this was you know Roger Goodell or Adam Silver to the NBA or Rob Mann to the MLB it would have been headline news in every single newspaper across America, but because the MMA is such an uh, um, a niche sport and it's in such a tiny bubble, um, you know, it's, it's very, it's very careful as in who it gets out to. So um, I think this is one of those things where it was just a really dark uh, time in the sport of MMA. Obviously Dana apologized for it. Uh Obviously it's it seems it seems like his um it like his wife had more surrounded too and it's it was like everybody was able to heal from that, but just a really bad look for the sport oh mm-hmm. overall and and not something you want to see going into a year where you know well, there was a lot of anticipation with Conor McGregor's return. Uh quite frankly, power slap, cough, cough, But uh yeah, definitely definitely one of those things where, where if you were an MMA Consumer and MMA media member, anything of that sort. You remember where you were when you found out about this story and how the story was covered. And I I think this is head and shoulders above everything else that took place this year. Um, given in white stature as the as the now UFC CEO and has given his role in the sport of mixed martial arts altogether. So,
0: for sure. And then, as far as the lack of coverage goes. I'm actually going to make a comparison to something I talked about uh, in 2022 with ETB sports, because I remember sitting there with Nick and Nick and we were talking about, well, Dana's new business partner that he picked up this year in Vince McMahon. Uh, And when he was going through his whole misconduct, (laughs) all the uh, hush money allegations. And I said, the reason, you know, People may not take that seriously, and I use the I use the term because it's wrestling, because it's you know the fake stuff, the silly stuff. That's what people say that it's its own bubble. And as you kind of alluded to, Zan, it's kind of very similar to MMA. Not that MMA is predetermined, but in that, like I mentioned with WWE, that it's in its own bubble. The MMA community is in its own world. Yes, it does have a lot more mainstream attention than it does the uh, you know ten even 10 years ago compared to 15, 20 years ago. But nevertheless, you know, it's kind of, as you mentioned, a niche sport, it's in its own bubble. Um, And people, some people won't really take it so seriously, despite the fact of, uh, despite the fact you have all this controversy, you know, considering that it's a big global sport brand and it's lead person caught on film slapping his wife. And yes, he and his wife are both regretful of what happened, and credit to them in that department. But at that point, it was like you know, damage done, which didn't help. You know, later, I think it was in the same month when the whole Francis and Gondo thing uh, happened. It was a really terrible look for the UFC. Now the it UFC, was. It
1: happened. Uh, it happened two weeks later.
0: Yeah. yeah. So it was a terrible start to the year for the UFC. Now they rebounded inside the cage, but. I don't know if we can say the same thing for outside the cage, considering some of the other controversies that we got going on, because there was somebody in our group chat, San, and I will shout it out once I get the name. But when I was uh, when I had mentioned the awards them, they had actually filled out and said that they thought the controversy of the year is the UFC antitrust lawsuit that's going on.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. definitely that's definitely a story. The only thing I would counter um, our, our group chat member with is the fact that there's still more info that needs to come out about it before you can fully definitively say that that was the controversy of the year. And I think 2024 will be a big year um on that front in terms of uh, what happens with it. So that's my only counterclaim to that.
0: Yeah, I mean, fair enough, but But I will say that that kind of goes hand in hand with, like, you know, inside the cage, it was a great year for the UFC. Outside of it, it definitely had its hiccups. And Dana White slapping his wife, being caught on film doing that New Year's party. It was definitely one of those hiccups and a really rough start for the
1: UFC. 1,000%.
0: Okay, going on now to the upset of the year. As it kind of says, light result that we didn't see coming. Uh, obviously, Zan, we've talked on this show about the rise of Jesus Pinedo, and I think he is one of the underdog stories of the year, knocking out Brendan LaVane, knocking out Bubba Jenkins, and then going on to become the PFL featherweight champion, one of the best underdog stories of this year. However, Zan, I think you and I are going to be in agreement on this one. Who is your upset of the year?
1: Yeah, my upset of the year is a pretty easy one. It took place in September. In Australia, Sean Strickland, the boogeyman, if you will, going into enemy territory and beating the golden goose is by in front of his own people in a dominant five-round decision. This is something that you and I didn't see coming. This this is the card where you only lost a single fight, and it would still um has you with as you licking your wounds to this very to this very day. I know, I know. What would it's just just because. I know how disappointed you were when Sean Strickland won because you were so close to a perfect event, just like I was um, a couple of weeks ago with UFC 296. But nonetheless, um, Sean Strickland beating Israel Adesanya has to be one of the biggest upsets in UFC middleweight history, if not the biggest upset in UFC middleweight history, at least since 2013 when Chris Weidman knocked out Anderson Silva, and it was just one of those fights where as soon as Sean Strickland rocked out of Sonia early in that fight, I mean, you just either, just either sit up in your chair or just have your draw, have your, your draw just sit on the floor because you couldn't believe what Sean Strickland was able to do to someone that looked like, you know, he, he was, you know, looked like going into that fight, he was going to be unbeatable on the feet. He wasn't, he, Strickland wasn't going to be able to take him down. It looked like anything that Strickland was going to be able to do, you know, going into the Going in that fight was going to be very difficult. He just made it like, absolutely effortless. And who could tell as the fight was going on that Strickman was getting more competent? And it really threw Adesanya off of his game. And I think it really just, you know, salted the wound even more to the point where Adesanya is going to, is, is according to him, t- taking, taking an extended layoff. Obviously, I know that you and I have that theory that if Israel Adesanya is given the right amount of money, he'll be back in a second. It definitely Sean Strickland beating Israel Adesanya did and shake up the middleweight division and did create this new who-found rivalry between Strickland and DDP, which I know you're super excited about. So I guess it opened a it it opened a very interesting can of worms that we you didn't see coming, and it just goes to show how unpredictable MMA is. Um, every single weekend because you don't know until the fights happen, and that is definitely one of those scenarios. So
0: yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I think this is a pretty easy one. Sean Strickland going into going into Australia and defeating Israel Adesanya as he did. Zan, you may mention of the, him rocking Adesanya early and the reactions. And I got Randy Couture Tim Sylvia vibes because Randy Couture uh, hurts Tim Sylvia in a pretty you know early fashion, and then ends up going the whole distance, pretty dominant, going really? out to up yeah. to become the heavyweight champion. So I see yeah, the parallel. Win,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. To win the UFC heavyweight title when nobody thought he, he would. All, oh, although I was, although I was one of those people at eight years old that said Eddie Woods simply simply because I was, <laughs> I was Randy Orton fan. But yeah, uh, I, was, but, I was the same
0: at like twelve years old or however old I was at that point because I liked Randy <laughs> Couture because of time. That,
1: that, that that's, that's, yeah. That, that's very interesting. That you had the you had, and more vibes to that fight, and uh you know, we were kind of talking afterwards as to like wow, oh Randy, Randy Couture did that, and 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 then and then some guy from the same gym over over or over a game later did that. It's pretty it's
0: pretty easy how that works, right? Well, well hey, you'd mentioned Chris Weidman. Uh he yeah. comes from the gym of Matt Serra, who pulled yeah. off an upset of Gsp.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's all in the it's all it's all in the ripple effect, right?
0: Exactly, it's all in the gyms. But yet said, I remember giving the UFC such crap because DDP had been Robert Whitaker international fight week. And I said, how are they going to book, you know, this fight, you know, regardless of who had won between Whitaker and DDP in just a couple of months time in Australia 293." And I said the UFC was not going to have a choice but to book Sean Strickland. And they did so. Uh, And it was only like on three, four weeks notice that the UFC 293 even got that main event Mm -hmm. and in turn basically kind of ruined. I thought ruined the idea of UFC Africa, according to Dana, at the 296 post fight press conference. They're still looking at a UFC Africa in spite of them losing all three of the, you know, African champions that they had going on. But you know, there's a chance that now DDP could take that on January 20th at 297.
1: And I, have a, consider- I, have a, I have a theory about that too, but I'll let you I'll let you finish.
0: Okay, and considering that, you know, considering that Israel Israel Adesanya is taking a layoff, although I don't know if I can say, as as you kind of allude to, I don't know if I can say years time. Like he once teased that he wasn't going to fight until like 27 or something like that. Um. It pretty much has now forced the UFC's hands to do Strickland versus DDP. and well they're all on to you know the fight hype with what happened in the crowd at two ninety-six, which I think Dana knew what he was doing.
1: Yeah, I think he I think he knew what he was doing well even you even though he admitted that he messed up for sure. But my, my theory my theory is if D D P beats Sean Strickland, it's gonna set up for UFC Africa. Yeah, a DDP welcoming Israel Adesanya and you backed the octagon for DDP's UF's, the middleweight title, a title that, you know, obviously Israel Adesanya lost to Sean Strickland. So I I think the storyline, whether people can see it or not, is already is already being built. That's my, that's, that's my theory. It's going to be this colossal event and in Africa that's going to see the return of Israel Adesanya fighting DDP in the fight that we never got to see a year prior. So I like
0: that. I like that theory. Mm -hmm. All right. Now we move on to the comeback of the year. So this is going to go. You can pick one of two things. You can pick a fight where a fighter was losing and then comes from behind to score a big victory. Or you can go with a comeback story of sorts. And Zan, I think we've split this one, you know, one and one. Yeah, it's according to this list. You did one of the story ones. I did a fight one. So I'll start this one off. I'll go with a fight one. Uh comeback of the year in terms of a fight. I am going to pick Davy Grant defeating uh Hafaela at UFC Las Vegas in March. That's great matter. fight. Yeah, and it was Hafaela Sansao's last fight. And the fact is he went up two rounds to zero. Davy Grant needed a finish and then pulls off an unbelievable, an unbelievable submission. Where he forces, yeah, he forces Rafael Assuncao, uh to submit. I want to double check and make sure I get the uh, submission right. Yeah, he choked. The, yeah, he choked him out, and it was like seconds. Was it seconds left on the clock? Yeah, seventeen seconds left on the clock. Rafael Sansao could have won his final fight. Ends up getting caught in a choke, passes out. Davy Grant gets one of the biggest wins. You know, one of the biggest come-from-behind wins of this year, and probably one of the biggest wins of his career. It's a shame that Rafael Sens out couldn't go out with a victory, but, I mean, you know, credit to Davy Grant for just the way that he performed, even in the face of adversity. Adversary, adverse, adverse. I can't speak.
1: <laughs> I know you. I know you meant to say in the in the face of adversity. There you, <laughs> there you go. Thank you. There you go. Um just to clarify, was that comeback uh the, the UFC Las Vegas carded virgin hotels that they had yeah, to do? That's what I
0: meant by UFC. That's why I want to say UFC Las that's State. what I
1: that's that's what I figured. So that is a very solid comeback pick. I went with a story pick on this one. Um Tom Aspinall coming back from a year way off, severe injury, not looking very good. Uh um and oh uh, um and oh uh, in his fight in 2022, I'm pretty sure i I'm mistaken that was against um Sirogan, and then of course he comes back from his injury, gets a thunderous um knockout win to get a title. Uh, that was also at that was also UFC Paris, and of course he gets thrusted into an interim heavyweight title fight. No um, knocks out Sergei Pavlovich, and uh, you know, obviously, unfortunately for him now he has to sit on the sidelines, but you know, just to come back from a severe injury like that, you know, ACL and MCL to are not easy you know sometimes your knees will never be the same again but um he's way better than i've ever seen him in his ufc career and uh if he can either play his cards right and wait it out or defend um the interim um ufc every, a championship well i confirm that is what that is what unnamed swords is reclaiming right now i think it could end up being a very interesting year for the ufc of Candom heavyweight champion and someone that the UFC is very high on to build um, a str- or an England, just like Leon Edwards. So for those reasons, I will give my 2023 comeback fighter of the year award to Tom Aspinall and someone who I think that when John Jones and Stevie Miocic um, do end up retiring, he's going to be elevated to undisputed champion because because to me he is the he is the best non undisputed champion that the UFC has, and I don't even think it's close.
0: So, the comeback, uh, so the, I mean, the fight that he got injured in was actually against Curtis Blades in 2000. Oh, yeah. yeah but yeah, you yeah. mentioned
1: gone. That's, that's, and you're right. this
0: heavyweight title scene, San.
1: That's
0: and, right. And I think I've talked about it on this show before on one of the episodes. I think in November after Aspinall won, you know, regardless of what happens with Joan and Stipe, especially if that fight takes even longer to put into, uh, to put into motion and have come to fruition. Like if that happens second, not till like the second half of twenty four. Then what I could see and what I would want to see happen is that fight. I know we'll talk about predictions for twenty four, but one of the fights, not the fight, but one of the fights I'd like to see it you know, if it comes down to it, is Aspinall versus Gone. You throw that somewhere over in Europe with those two European based fighters, Aspinall from the UK, Cyril gone from France. That could definitely you know that could definitely grab some eyeballs.
1: Does that make sense for for a um for a UFC Paris Fight Night main event for the UFC interim heavyweight championship in September?
0: Oh my god, that place would go bonkers. I mean, mm-hmm. unless then, unless then they do a pay per view over in London in first half of twenty four, which they did last year.
1: Yeah, they could. Although I just don't know how well the interim heavyweight title would sell over over undisputed. Um, champion in a, in a in a in a in event. That's the only that's the only crux I have about that.
0: Fair enough. It'll be interesting to see. So yeah, those are a couple of comebacks. Other nominees. I also mentioned Chris Weidman returning from injury against Brad Tavares. They just released the ESPN special about him, uh and then some other nominees. uh Oh, and the other story one, Yaroslav Yamasov. Obviously, he lost his welterweight title eventually, but coming back. You know, after a year, way after going to war, uh, for his for his native country against the Russia invasion, um, and as far as the fights go, uh, Edson Barboza, Sadiq Youssef, UFC Vegas 90, uh, 81. um, uh, Elvis Brenner against uh, Els Brenner versus Guram Kudaladze at UFC Vegas seventy six was also a good one. Uh, UFC Austin, we just had Jared Gooden and Wellington Sermon as another comeback nominee. Uh, Liz Carmouche, Diana Bennett, or a Bellator one, which there was concerns about that fight. So, yeah, we had some, some pretty decent comebacks and a pretty decent amount of comebacks with 2023. And here's hoping for more of that craziness with 2024. And now that leads us over now, Zant. We're going to start to get to the bigger things. The moment of the year. The story of 2023. So you know, it could be a feel-good story, could be a big news story. Here's some things that were listed. Sand Demba Rimbo being uh, Grimbo getting gifted a house by the rock, Francis and Gunn, who leaving the UFC, going out to sign with the PFL, uh, and then fight Tyson Fury, Alexa Grasso's upset, no to UFC happening, John Jones's return, winning the heavyweight title. The PFL purchase of Bellator, Sean Strickland's upset, Jesus Pinedo's underdog run, which I mentioned before, Sean O'Malley's win for the Bannaway title, which I mentioned before, Alex Pereira getting his second UFC title in a second weight class. A lot, of, a lot of memorable things happening in and out of the cage stand in 2023. But overall, what is our pick for moments of the year? I think we have a little bit of a... Dis- so this one, I can't say we have a disagreement. Because it's the same story, but we're looking at it from two different angles. So, tell it what is our pick for the story of the year, the moment of the year, and I guess we'll each have our own different angle to it.
1: Yeah, so I, I guess another way to put it is we have a very similar wavelength as to where we're going with the story. So, for me, I think Francis signing with the PFL was the moment of the year. So. You want to talk about in other sports like the NFL and the NBA and the NHL and MLB, for example, which has that the huge news about Joey Ohtani going to the Dodgers. Obviously, I feel like this was MMA's ver- version of exactly that. Everyone was anticipating oh, where is Francis going to go. Is it going to be the PFL? Is it going to be one championship? Is it going to be back to the UFC where he's going to be? Uh, or, 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 will, or will he continue to be the UFC heavyweight champion again? People were waiting for months. Well, and Stena announced in January that Jones is fighting gone for the heavyweight title. What in the world is this is going to do? Well, he made his um, he made his statement very clear. And I believe late April, early May when he signed to the Professional Fighters League. In fact, I think it was in the middle of May that he did it. And to me, I just think this was a blockbuster moment. Um Francis Ngannou went with his heart and it went with his head and his heart to to be quite frank. Um, he was someone that, you know, wanted a lot of things. He wanted a long-term health uh, healthcare for the fighters. He wanted a raise for every single UFC heavyweight title fight that he was offered. He wanted the John Jones fight. He wanted the opportunity to box. And unfortunately, the UFC went in budget, but the PFL did. It really wanted to make him a partner in this. And I feel like this is the first big UFC transactional move. And Tvador Emelianenko decided that he was going to sign with Strikeforce over signing with the UFC, which would have prevented him from co-promoting with M1 Global. And I feel like this is one of those situations where for the first time in about a decade plus, the UFC let their biggest star walk away. Because that is what he felt would be for the betterment of his career. So for those reasons alone, Francis Nogano stuck to his guns no he did not fumble the bag as evidenced uh, by his fight in your win with Tyson Fury in Saudi Arabia back in October. And for those reasons alone, Francis should be celebrated. His PFL career and his boxing career are going to be very, very interesting to pay attention to. Uh, and I feel like in the next few years, we're going to really find out who ended up getting the last laugh here. But to me, I feel like early on Francis Ngannou did and for those and for those reasons, Francis Tangano signing with the PFL is a 2023 moment of the year. I know you have a very similar answer, but as to different, just a different take. So what do you so what do you think?
0: You know what, Sam? Screw that. I think I think we both are in agreement. You know, I know I convinced I you. Wow. No no, 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 no. Listen, I I had you listed as him leaving the UFC, and I have as joining the PFL. But at this point, I said, you know what? Screw it. It's the same story. It's the same story. It was stupid of me to try and separate the two. It is the same story, and I think we're in agreement on that. It's Francis and Ganu jumping shit.
1: Oh, that, oh that's true. I, I, I apologize. I did take, I did, I, I, I did take your nominee. I know, but, but can... to, I know. I apologize yeah, yeah. Because,
0: you know, because you know what? I saw it listed on a couple of different places, like two different stories. But honestly, it's one big story because I remember sitting here, Zam, with you in January. I think we had just barely come back if we had even come back at all at that point. And we, we just, essentially did a breaking news stream that essentially was a makeshift episode with how long it went.
1: That's right. We did. You're you're right. It was on a random Saturday night in the middle of the end of a postseason. Will the will the will the Chargers were blowing it against Jacksonville. How could I how could I forget? Yeah, because yeah. you
0: saw my reaction laughing at the Chargers blowing it to Jacksonville. On the right. Stream. Right, um, exactly. Yeah, but we were sitting here wondering what the F is going on with you know the UFC Jones gone happening for a vacant heavyweight title, Francis walking away. Which, if you
1: remember, would which, which, if you remember, well, instead, once that fight was announced, I absolutely hated it. I thought, what are they, what are they, what are they doing?
0: Right, and at this point, and then it. Yeah, because it got leaked because of the T-Mobile sign. That's and then later at right. that time at the UFC press conference, Dana dropped the bomb about Francis leaving.
1: That's right. Mm-hmm. So,
0: and then the heavyweight title was vacant and I had I, I had said at that point that Francis was going to the PFL as evidenced by a shirt that I think it was one of his family members. They might have been his mom wearing in an Instagram post around last year at Christmas time. And we said, "Okay, that's a clear sign." But we did have the negotiations. As you mentioned, Francis wanted a lot of things which are great for fighter care, especially as fighter care is obviously, obviously always going to be a very uh, sensitive and controversial kind of topic in the MMA sphere. Uh, And so I, I, you know, there was all this debate about, you know, because it it took four months. It took four months for him to sign. And people were starting to get impatient. And people were starting to doubt once Francis Ngannou even signed with the U with the PFL. But that Tyson Fury fight, I think a lot of people that Tyson Fury fight convinced, you know, that you you don't need the UFC. I mean, we mentioned Fedor Zan. Fedor is a legend in MMA and he did not need the UFC. So you can have a, a successful career in mixed martial arts without the UFC. Maybe it won't be as, uh, you know, maybe it won't be as financially successful, but you can have success within the sport. But it's also interesting, Zan, because, again, making the connection to something we talked about earlier. All this is happening while well, we've got this antitrust lawsuit that's also going on, which is going to make for an even more interesting 2024 when you got that going on combined with, you know, I mean, Francis Ngannou. Is he going to take another boxing fight? You know, are they going to try for a Fury rematch with the WBC title on the line? Uh, is is uh, Francis Ghanu going to make his PFL debut against, you know, somebody like a Ryan Bader or somebody like that? I know, I know the, uh, I think it's was Ferreira who won the championship uh, this year for the PFL. So he's probably going to fight Bader first. So does Francis fight the winner of that? Do they have somebody else in line for Francis for his debut? There's a lot to... There's a lot to talk about with Francis, but Francis. My thought,
1: my, my thought is that Francis is going to wait it out and wait for the right opportunity and the right dollar amount before making a decision on any of those options because any of those options are feasible. I think it's going to be what makes the most um, monetary sense before he actually decides to come back. That's I mean, what, fair,
0: that's what, fair enough, fair enough, especially when PFL is trying for the super fight division on pay per view. But even then, Francis is going to be overseeing the PFL Africa, so it's definitely something, Zan, that his role in this sport and the idea, you know, fumble the bag versus not, and as you said, who's going to get the last laugh at the end, and 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 the antitrust lawsuit looming in the background like storm clouds. It's definitely going to play out for a really interesting 2024 outside the cage as much as it will inside. For sure. And and and, added, and adding the fuel to the fire, as I kind of mentioned, the PFL purchasing Bellator. Right. All right. Speaking of the UFC and promotions outside of the UFC, it's time for event of the year, which, and I took this actually, this idea from my editor, Andy Kaplan over at Fansided, in splitting the award. One solely for the UFC and one for outside of the UFC. So this first one we're going to do outside of the UFC because we had some, quite some interesting cars that happened outside of the UFC Bellator having Bellator 290. It's only show on CBS, the return of MMA on a network television since the UFC left uh, Fox since Strike Force Nashville over on CBS and all that controversy Bellator 300 And then Bellator 301, the final Bellator event under Viacom, which you were there for, Zan. Also, we had the PFL Championship, World Championships, Europe Championships, One Fight Night, uh, one Fight Night 10, Johnson Mariahs 3, because that was 1's UFC debut. I believe it was in in Colorado. Uh, Oh,
1: oh, Tom, uh, you you meant to say 1's U.S. debut. I said you. Did I not? You said 1's UFC debut.
0: Oh, one U.S. debut. Uh, Pardon me. Uh, But for the non-UFC event, we both went with a Bellator. Uh, But we went with different Bellators. Now, I know you have a connection to one, which you can get into. Mm -hmm. But I went with Bellator 290. Because you know what? As much as I trashed the idea of Bader versus uh, Fedor before, it was Fedor's retirement fight. It was good to see him get one last fight and get surrounded by all those legends. Outside of the uh, you know, you know, after the fight, surrounded by all those legendary names in the Bellator cage, and you had two title fights. You had Beta retaining, you had Johnny Evelyn retaining the middleweight title in pretty dominant fashion. Brennan Ward, Sabah Masi ended up delivering, and then some to open up the CBS portion of the card. Lorenz Larkin had a knockout of the year nominee that uh, elbows of Mohammed Uh
1: that one
0: that was absolutely brutal. Uh, Chris Gonzalez with a finish. Henry Corrales, Ali Asayev getting victories. I thought it was a very entertaining card. It was a great start of the year to Bella, for Bellator. Unfortunately, of course, it ends with Bellator getting purchased and it's run as an independent organization you know. over. but I, I guess, you, and kind of leading into what you're going to go to, it's, it's book endings for the year. It's start and it's end were pretty great.
1: Yes, yeah, so mine's gonna be pretty obvious Bellator 301. It was the last Bellator event as an independent promotion under the Viacom banner, and of course it happened to take place in my home city of Chicago, which I was very grateful to attend. And simply put, the reason why I made it my uh my my non UFC event of the year was simply because there was so much uncertainty around the event. Um, you know, you know, in the weeks leading up, there was the fear that it was gonna get canceled. Um well, all the stuff and the controversy around the Grand Prix and whether or not the Grand Prix was going to finish or not, we still don't even know if the Grand Prix will, will finish or not at this point. I highly doubt it will, but I just think everything around that event was just so kind of chaotic and uncertain that, you know, everyone who was there, whether you were a media member or promoter or a fan, um, we, we, we just really didn't know what was happening. And we just kind of went with the flow of everything and, you know, it was just one of those events that if you were the that if, that if you were there, which I obviously was, you'll you, you'll remember every moment of it, and I w- that was just something that I always remember is just you know being there and them taking the curtain down at the end of the post-fight presser and us not getting to hear you know what Scott Coker was going to say at the very end was just kind of you know added added a lot more uh, a lot more question marks than closures, and, and that's just one that I'll remember is just you know. Sitting around everyone and everyone trying to find angles for how to really encapsulate what, what the event was. You know, it being the last MMA event on Showtime, there, there were so many there were so many elements to it that I'll always remember to the point where you know that November night. I think it was November seventeenth. I'm pretty sure will always be ingrained in my um in, in my a brain forever as the as the night where Bellator as knew it went away and. uh, it's, that's just one for me. Like once the event was over, I kind of thought about. it. I'm like, yeah, this is an obvious choice for my non-UFC event of the year, and um, it, and then it was, the, and I was very proud to attend. And one that I'm sure every single person in the building was not expecting at the beginning of the year that it was going to be Bellator's last, but alas, uh or, or last year we here we are. So with that being said, my non-UFC event of the year for 2023 goes to Bellator 301 in Chicago.
0: Well said. Like I said, you know, start of the year, end of the year, two very noteworthy Bellator events for very different kinds of reasons. Uh, now let's talk about the UFC event of the year because the UFC, oh man, they put out you know for all the countries that we mentioned outside of the cage, they put out some bangers this year.
1: There were some, there were some wild pay-per-views to the. Where this one was very difficult to pick for me. What about what about
0: for you? Oh, this was difficult. This is And this is still difficult as I do my, you know, partake in my awards voting panels for the different publications that I'm at. But, I mean, you want to talk, Zan. First of all, Zan, as we kind of already hyped on our show, the hot summer that the UFC had with 290, 291, 292. Them going to the Garden for 295 was a very entertaining card. And, Zan, we just came off of UFC Austin, probably the best fight night uh card of 2023 in,
1: argu- only- in, in, in in arguably the best fight night card in the history of the ufc.
0: Yeah it was seriously a really difficult decision to make but actually zan i think i'm gonna let you go first on this because i just went with the non-ufc event
1: sure so as i as i just alluded to a second ago this was a very difficult pick for me but and I, but I'm going to go with UFC 291 just based on the, the the sure fact that this was one of the greatest days of my entire life as a combat sports consumer. You had the UFC taking place on the same night. You had boxing taking place on the same night. You had, had Octagon MMA taking place in the exact same day. You had so many things going on at once in relation to combat sports to where just you either being a combat sports consumer, a member of the media, anything of that sort, July, I, J- July 29th was your mini Super Bowl of sorts. Yep. So 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 with that being said, UFC 290 went over delivered. Obviously the thunderous um nah, I'll go in the main event, one of the one, one of the greatest finishes to a UFC even event I've ever seen, one of the worst one of the worst um Knockout, yeah, yeah. One of the one of the worst and most electric knockouts I've ever seen. We obviously had the fall of, we obviously had the fall of Tony Ferguson and some other just unbelievable fights on that card. But it's the just the day alone. Um, Joel, July, J- July 29, twenty twenty three will be it. Will be a night that it'll always remember forever. And I just think UFC two ninety one being at the forefront I and mean, it was just absolutely awesome. There were just so many bangers to where. And that for those of you that saw that card, UFC 291 will be ingrained in your memories forever. And and and, and that one for me was obvious, despite how good UFC 290 was, 292, 93 so on and so forth. For me, the and in Salt Lake City, July 8 of this year, that took the cake. And I'm interested to see when and the UFC returns to Salt Lake City, because I feel this Salt Lake City effect the last two years is. And unbelievable. Let's see how let's see how your three turns out.
0: Absolutely. It should be absolutely a blast in Salt Lake City because they gotta go back there again. Uh that being said, I know 291 was very popular because of the July 29th date, because that all but like two of the fights. I think, yeah, two all but two of the fights ended in finishes. The spectacular knockout, Justin Gaethje had a Dustin Poyer. But it's my number two. My number one is going to be UFC 290. Because, Zan, I think this was the first time that I, 290, that I came on here. Uh, Zan, I think we did a breaking news stream for a post-fight show because we said that UFC 290 was going to go down as one of the greatest cards in the history of the UFC. And yeah, I think, the we,
1: I, think, I think we did. You're right. And it yeah, was the yeah.
0: first time, Zan, I think, that I came on here and I gave a UFC card an A+. I said A+. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was amazing. From the, from the minute that Esteban Ripovich and Kamuela and Zan entered the cage for the very first early prelim, every fight delivered in one way or another. Because then you follow that up with that competitive bout with Jesus Aguilar's knockout, Cameron Saban getting a finish over Terrence Mitchell, and then you just get banger after banger, either an excellent fight or spectacular performance. You know, Bo Nickel and that was a 38 second finish
1: right.
0: beating Robert Whittaker uh, Volkanovski in the main event, finishing Yair Rodriguez. And then, of course, Alex in the co-main event, uh, Alex Pantoja winning the flyweight title. He and Brandon Moreno putting on one of the greatest fights of this year and one of the greatest flyweight fights ever. Um, Robbie Lawler's retirement to end the prelims and that emotional tribute that happened afterwards. UFC 290 had everything and then some. And, and, and I have to say, I'm not going to discredit 291 because the UFC was producing, you know, they it, as the kids say, they went into the kitchen and cooked the hell out of July. He
1: sure, or the, he sure did, Tom. I guess the only thing that is missing from UFC 290, and I'm sure you, you, can, atted, you can attest to this, was topping the bill with Conor McGregor, which is... Uh, for, versus Michael Chandler, but what do we but what do we or, you know or John yeah, Jones
0: yeah. Steve Amiocic.
1: Right. Or quite frankly in an alternate universe, John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: That, but I'm not gonna be mad with your July was just a really special time and it was two of the greatest pay-per-views that the UFC has ever done. So are, you
1: are are, are you are are you the best for four uh cons- Effective UFC pay-per-view stretch that I that that I can remember remember in a long time from two ninety 290 through two ninety four was un, it was it was unbelievable.
0: Yeah, it was absolutely spectacular. Uh, let's go on right now. Now Sam we're gonna enter we're gonna enter the big five the big ones. Let's go to the submission of the year. So yeah, I think uh, I think this one I'm starting off with, but. Had a couple of different nominees here. Davy Grant, I had mentioned before. Uh, Shavka versus Jeff Neal, 285. Um, Damon Blackshear getting the third ever twister in the history of the UFC. But I was tempted to go with that one on move alone. But, you know, considering the fact that we didn't give this one enough attention because of Sean Strickland's upset, this Pineo's underdog run and everything. Zan, I'm going to give my submission of the year to Alexa Grasso at 285, pulling off the unbelievable upset of Valentina Shevchenko when winning the women's flyweight title. It was so shocking to see not just somebody defeat Shevchenko, but finish her and tap her out.
1: Yeah, that was definitely a a shocking upset and one that a lot of people didn't see coming. I'm actually going to go with you on the same card. It's Gonna be Shavkat Rakhmonov submitting Jeff Neal, and I just think this was Shavkat Rakhmonov's coming out party. I think a lot of people that really had never seen him fight before have thought, oh, oh, well, this is the fight where Jeff Neal is gonna explain him, and oh, Shavkat Rakhmonov made that submission look super easily, uh, easy, and and of course he follows it up with the submission win over Stephen Wonderboy Thompson a couple of weeks ago, uh, I in a fight where going into it Stephen Wonderboy Thompson had never been, uh, submitted in, in his career. So I just think the way that Chavo Roc is fighting right now, um, gave me the inkling to get him to give him this award, and I said it a couple of weeks ago. So I'm gonna say it again. I think he is a future champion at 170 pounds, regardless of who he of who he takes the title from. I just think I just is I I just I just think he's that good. I think the UFC's global presence of so many champions that aren't from America is a very interesting thing, and he would definitely. Eh, to that, and I just think he's he's someone that I think is extremely likable, is super dominant, is super uh, patient and tactical with every single move he makes. And I just think those two submissions alone really defined his, his year. But when that, that one was like a huge coming out party, that made you go, Wow, the dude is a serious force, especially against a veteran like Jeff Neal that's been around in the sport for a very, very long time. And someone who has fought some of the best fighters now. I just did welterweight, but it, but it, but it middleweight and other weight divisions too. So overall very dominant year, uh, for Shavkat and that UFC 285 submission is my 2023 sub of the year.
0: So like, like I said in our last episode, Zan, it's very hard to argue against 18 and 0 with 18 finishes. So it's going to be interesting to see what 20, super,
1: super, super, super dominant. You could, you know. Oh, he—he he is right now. They're starting to get into that territory where he, it, where he, it very well start to be the early version of the of 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 the early rise of what of of what Floyd Mayweather was to, to to boxing back. And then if Shavik if Jacques can keep this up, because it just seems like every single fight he has zero weaknesses whatsoever, and that just makes him super awful. Ultra impressive and someone who I am super excited to watch every single time he fights, no matter, no matter who he's fighting or where or he's fighting or anything like that. He's just super, super dominant.
0: Moving on now to the other side of the coin, the knockout of the year. We've talked about a few already, Zan. We've talked about Gaethje and Poirier. Uh, we also had Israel Bonfim in his debut against Terrence McKinney at 283. You had Islam Mikashev knocking out Volk at 294. Uh, Adesanya knocking out Pereira 287, Sabu C at PFL six, and we're just coming off of one where we had uh, Josh Emmett pulling off a spectacular, dominant, violent knockout of Bryce Mitchell. So, Zan, what is your pick for knockout of the year?
1: Yeah, this is um, this is recency bias aside. Josh Emmett knocking out Bryce Mitchell is one of the scariest knockouts I've ever seen in my life, and in you know, watching a Gene Bryce Mitchell shake had me, had me in fear that he wasn't going to be okay. Thankfully he was, but just the power that Josh Emmett possessed behind that shot, the way that the, the way that Bryce Mitchell fell had your jaw on the floor. And that's just one of those, when you see that highlight play over and over and over again, it's an instantly flashback in your mind, where you were, what your reaction was when you saw it and everything like that. It was just, it, it, it it's just it's just one of the those knockouts where where it's like it's it's so scary that you don't even believe that it, that it really happened and that was instantly what i thought of that so um that's my knockout of the year for, for sure i'd have to redo my top 10 um personally my top and greatest knockouts ever but the, that has to be it has to be up there now and it's just overall one of those one, one of the was knockouts that A left you scratching your head, and B just had your jaw absolutely on the floor because for for, for 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 me personally, I didn't think that Bryce Mitchell could get knocked out like that, but apparently but apparently he did and uh shaman I is still a force that at, at, at 145 and not going not going anywhere. That's for that's for sure.
0: Yeah, that was pretty violent. They get the gate you want a we talked about was violent in itself. But I went a little bit in a different direction. You know, you have your recency bias. I might have my PFL bias, but Savarusi calling his shot during the fight media hype week and saying, you know, oh, I'm going to have a viral knockout. And then he goes and he gets a spinning wheel kick, landing on Shane Mitchell to knock him out cold and then walking away. He didn't even have to follow off. It was a spinning wheel kick and he just had a walk off on that. Like, I have to give credit for creativity. That was spectacular, and for calling his shot. True.
1: So I guess that leads me to a follow-up question: Is it better than when Edson Bar- Barboza knocked out Terrier in him, or is it not, or is it not there yet? What do you What do you think?
0: I don't know if it's there yet, and I think some of that. Yeah, I don't think it's there that yet. And I think the reason the Edson Barboza one has the, you know, has the edge. It's also the commentary that happens. Because it, they mentioned that Terry Adam could get knocked out. and Right as Edson Barboza <laughs> lands the shot. As That's if Goldberg and Rogan had completely scripted it. It's true. It's <laughs> very true.
1: Good point. Good point.
0: Uh, yeah, so, so, so some spectacular finishes we had this year. But going from the spectacular finishes to just spectacular fights themselves. So... We had a couple of different nominees, which we actually mentioned during the show. We had Brandon Moreno, Alex Vantoja at 290. Uh, we had uh, Brendan Ward, Sabah Humasi, Bellator 290. We had Islam Makashev, Alex Volkanovsky, their first fight. Gaethje Viziev at 286. We also had a couple of boxing ideas with Yuri Nganu and Emmanuel Navarrete, Oscar Valdez. And if I were to pick one for boxing it would definitely be Navarrete versus Valdez. Same but, but I think we're going to stick with MMA and Sand. if I'm not mistaken, I think these last big three, we are in complete agreement on. So if I can, our pick for the 2023 fight of the year is Islam Mikasa versus Alex Volkanovsky one at UFC 284. The competitive, the competitiveness between the two, it was Zan. It was number one versus number two in the pound-for-pound rankings. So you had that going into it. It was Super Bowl weekend. You had that hype going into it. You had, you know, it was so evenly matched that, you know, one minute Makashev had controlled the fight. Then Volkanovsky had controlled the fight. It was one of those things where, you know, in spite of people calling it a robbery, you know, I wasn't sure. Who was going to get the nod on this one? It could have fallen either way. And it led us to a great rematch with a great knockout that followed up. You know, granted, it was on short notice for um, But just the back and forth nature, the competitiveness and the stakes of that fight. Volk going for the double champ, the one versus two and the pound for pound. You know, and and I'm not just talking about the UFC rankings, but people genuinely believe that these were the two greatest fighters in the world at the time. And it they just produced spectacular, close, competitive, uh, fight that ended in a very narrow decision that could have fallen either way. And it just and it was action packed for twenty five minutes. No complaints on my part. I think we're in agreement on that one.
1: Yeah, I echo everything you just said. And it's one of those fights where you always remember where you were. I was actually sitting in a in a movie. Th- in Arizona, I get to go cover the Super Bowl media week festivities while I was in graduate school. And while all of my other friends were out at the bars or whatever they were doing and having a good time, I was sitting in a movie either with seven other people and watch one of the one of the greatest fights that I have ever seen in my life. And that is a bold statement, even considering how many UFC fights I've watched over the course of a decade plus. But that's one that I will always remember or I was for it. I always remember being on the edge of my seat as Vulcan is, I'm um, just went totally back and forth against one another. It was just one of those fights where I just really, I, I just really had just such an unbelievable time. And it was such a joyous occasion to watch literally the two best fighters in the world fight. Uh, and on Super Bowl weekend, the center of the sports world is on them the night before the biggest game in, in, in the, in, in the NFL, obviously. And is seeing the pure heart and will and determination of both of these guys to just keep going for, for 25 minutes. Now that's slowing down even for a little bit. Volk just trying to get at the finish. Islam trying to defend everything that Volk threw at him. Islam trying into trying to take the crowd out of it and failing to do who so this I was fight say, a- I, forgot,
0: I almost forgot to say it was also in Australia, so Volk had a big hometown advantage.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just everything and just everything about this fight the poetry the the pageantry the movement it was just it was so therapeutic to watch it's almost you could watch that fight 100 times 50 times with commentary and 50 times without and we'll still get the same joyous occasion every single time and uh the you know this was a hotly debated decision that i think it'll had a bias around it i think a lot of people were hoping that volk would win because because as he was in his hometown. But as I always say all the time, you, you have to you have to beat the champ to beat the champ. And uh originally the judges gave it to Islam. And obviously as we know the the, the rematch did not go according to um to, to Volk's plan to try to it back at him but it really just showed how high level that fight was and uh you who can you who can never go wrong with seeing number one versus number two in any sport, but especially MMA with the with with the rarity of it it was pretty it was pretty special.
0: Absolutely, I don't think there needs to be anything else said. It really was, you know, the fight of the year in our opinion. And Zan personally, I actually of all the controversy, I agreed with the judges. I think I had it. I had uh, Islam winning three rounds to two.
1: Yeah, I think we, I think we agreed. Mm -hmm.
0: Good. Going on now, Zan. Two, the two really big ones, fighter of the year. Starting off with the female fighter of the year, Zan. You had a couple of different nominees. We had, of course, Amanda Nunes, the retiring Amanda Nunes. We had Alexa Grasso and her upset, Whaley Zhang, Aaron Blanchfield, Larissa Pacheco and her run with the PFL. But Zan, I think we agreed on this one as well. Yeah, we did, as we did for both Fighter of the Year. So, Zan, who is the MMA Outsiders 2023 Female Fighter of the Year?
1: So, on behalf of Tom and I, our, our 2023 MMA Outsiders Female Fighter of the Year goes to none other than Alexa Grasso. So, who defeated Valentina Shevchenko twice in the, in the same year? First to win the UFC flyweight title, and then, of course, defend it uh, um, uh, almost uh, um, uh, almost less than seven months later in the rematch at OJ UFC, in one of the in one of the best uh, fights of this calendar year, as we alluded to earlier in the episode. And I just think with the dominant run that Valentina Shevchenko was on in in that division, having only lost to Amanda Nunes. Uh, at, at that point in time, just goes to show really how monumental that upset was, and how big that win was. You know, for 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 Mexico, as we alluded to in this episode, the UFC PI in Mexico is almost is, is going to be is going to be finished at some point next year, and there's going to be so much Mexican talent coming out of there that this was a huge um you know oh, just just revel just re- revelation in that country in terms of MMA, and I think that. You know, Alexa Ross really spearheaded it, and to beat, you know, arguably the greatest UFC women's flyweight to ever exist is something that's a feather in her cap that no one can never take away from her. So, based on those reasons alone, I think that Alexa Garasa R- rightfully deserves, and not even close, just um, uh, female fighter of the year in a, in a in a in a landslide that I don't think we will ever forget.
0: Yeah, no. And I mean, you look at some of these other nominees, I don't want to trash them. But obviously, Amanda Nunes has her one fight against uh, against Aldana and ends up retiring. Uh, Whaley Zhang has her one fight. Pretty one sided fashion. Doesn't fight afterwards. Larissa Pacheco. You can make the argument, you know, competitiveness and the talent around her. Uh, And then Aaron Blanchfield, I guess you can make the argument again about, you know, I mean, she beat Jessica Andrade and Talia Santos. But again, as you kind of alluded to, Alexa Grasso, you know, going into UFC 285, I don't think really anybody gave her a chance that this was going to be an easy win for Valentina Shevchenko as she continued to go along with her path and either, you know, go and have a unification bout with Wei Li or go and have another unification bout with Nunes. And then Alexa Grasso spoils everything. Not just to beat Shevchenko, but to submit Shevchenko in one of the most shocking moments of this year in MMA. And then to go months later, uh, as you mentioned, you know, the UFC needed to get into that Mexican market. And Dana created a personal mission. And yeah, maybe they fumbled a little bit with Raul Rosas Jr., but they had Alexa Grasso now. And they go in and she and Shevchenko in their rematch produce an instant classic. And whether you think, you know, you had your hot take early in the show about you thought Shevchenko won, but whatever way you looked at it, it was an absolutely phenomenal fight that, you know, was going to be one to remember. And it sets up more hype for a trilogy fight that could take place if you and I both think on the same wavelength at the second NOSHA UFC event in September, especially considering that Shevchenko, I think, is still recovering from her injury in that second fight.
1: Yeah, I think. I think it's almost penciled in that that will be the main event for the UFC's introduction to the sphere.
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. you consider you consider her, you know, potentially now the poster child for the UFC's Mexican market and the performances that she had against one of the greatest women's MMA fighters that the UFC has ever seen. Yeah, there can't be any question that it can be anybody but Chip, but uh Alexa Grasso. Alexa for Grasso, sure. the MMA fighter, MMA outsiders female fighter of the year for 2023. And then on the male side of things, we have a couple of different nominees. You know, we mentioned Sean Strickland and the run that he had. We have mentioned Leon Edwards and, you know, pulling up, winning the trilogy with Usman and then the Colby Covington fight, which was the Colby Covington fights. Let's not talk (laughs) about that. And then of course I threw in DDP just because I'm an absolutely biased individual, but as much as they had some great runs uh, within this year, Zan, like, I'll do a similar kind of introduction that you did for Alexa. On behalf of everybody here at the MMA Outsiders, on behalf of Zan and myself, I am pleased to award the 2023 MMA Outsiders Male Fighter of the Year to the UFC Lightweight Champion of the World, Islam Mikashev. An absolutely memorable year for one Islam Mikashev. Of course, he ends 2022 spectacularly with his win over Charles Olivera to become the champion. And then he goes and has one of the greatest fights that we just talked about uh, against uh, Alex Volkanovsky. And then he goes on, Zan. He's preparing for the Olivera rematch. Olivera gets hurt on very short notice. Volk comes in for the rematch and defeats him in a way that we have never seen Volkanovsky dominated inside the cage. And Zan, it made us like really question, you know, when guys like when guys like Dustin Poirier and such get ready to compete against Islam Makhachev, is he going to have his way of them the way that he the way that he had his way with Volkanovski? Because you think about the potential fights that could be coming up for Islam the you know the Charles Oliveira rematch to finally come to fruition, Justin Gaethje, Poirier, Chandler, like all those guys, it should be absolutely fun. But can they beat Makachev? Because right now Makachev, you know, if Volk can't couldn't do it, Makachev right now looks un, uh, unbeatable.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I, think I, I I just think at this point it's going to be very hard. Just, who can who can give Makachev his best fight outside of Volk? But I think that's what you know the the new year is you know on the on the is in for seeing what champions can get knocked off, and I'm not. I to make a quick prediction right now, but it seems like a Makachev is about to go on a run that's very similar to Khabib's, if not eventually by the time Islam is done, better than Khabib overall. So it will be interesting to see what Islam does, but I just think as year alone beating Volk, who's, you know, in, in many people's eyes, the best 145 or ever, and then to beat Charles Oliveira, who had just a, a memorable career resurgence in a fight that, you know, people are still waiting to see. Um, again, to see how, to see how a rematch might play out. I think there's still a lot of market legacy left to be written, but it's definitely off to a great start in terms of his title run. And he's definitely the best lightweight in the world. And he's definitely number one, on a lot of people's lists, including mine, if not top five, on many others. And he's just a a joy to watch one of the most exciting fighters in the sport. And what, any of those fighters that you just get eagerly excited to see compete just because he's super soft spoken, but he's just an absolute savage inside the cage. And there's there's no way he's not going to continue his exciting run because he's just someone that represents Dagestan so well. And uh, yeah, his 2024 year, if he keeps the belt is going to be very, very, very interesting.
0: All right, Sam, before we go, let's quickly do some, predictions for 2024 let's see what we got so i have one over under question and then we both came up with some different yes no prediction kind of questions let's start this off with an over under this one was kind of very similar to one we had last year over under the number of new ufc champions six what do you think
1: i'm gonna say under what do you what do you think
0: all right let me just quickly go through them whaley I could see her keeping 115. Grasso. I mean, that's a toss-up with her and Shevchenko. I'll pu- I'll put that as potential one. Are we going to count women's man-a-weight? because there's going to be technically a new champion? Uh, Two ninety-seven. We have to, yeah. Okay, so we're already going to have one. Potentially a second women's featherweight ain't coming back. Uh, right. I think Panto just safe. I think O'Malley. I want to see him. I, we, it depends on how he performs against Cheeto, but I'll say safe for now. Volk, I think, is safe. Islam, I think, is safe. Um, Leon, I think, is safe. I, like I said, I'm very questioning of you know what's going to happen with Leon, considering what happened with the Colby Covington fight, and you know how do how do UFC views Bilal and shafkat That'll be interesting. So I'll say he's safe for now. Uh, Alex Pereira, I think, is safe. Uh, 185. Sean Strickland. I think we can see a change there. I think we can mm-hmm. see a change. That might be a little biased, but I'll go with that one. Uh, and then heavyweight. Yeah, it depends what the S ball situation. But still, that's only like I was being lenient. I was only given like four, so I'm, I'm gonna, gonna agree. So I'm gonna go under.
1: I'm gonna say I'm gonna say three. So I'm gonna say that uh that heavyweight changes, women's w- women's flyweight changes. I'm and I'm actually gonna. Say, Either light heavyweight anges 2 once Jamal Hill is fully
0: 100%. I'm going to go with heavyweight. I'm going to go with middleweight. We both have to go with women's bantamweight. So I think technically you're going to be four then. Okay. Yeah. And then probably women's flyweight. I'll agree with you on that. So yeah, four. So I'm going to, I think we're both going to take the under. Sounds good. All right. We're going to see some longer title range. We're not going to see anything hot potato. All right. I think this is the big question now. So, those in Conor McGregor does he come back we both said yes last year and pay the price for it I mean we had tough but tough was an embarrassment but yeah 24
1: I mean I think so UFC 300's looming it's the only main event that makes sense at this point as you've alluded to if you don't make McGregor Chandler now it's never going to happen so I would say I would say yeah
0: okay so yeah, because that that led into the other question of does McGregor Chandler headline UFC 300? I'm gonna agree with you, yes, and I'm gonna stay with the same take that I made episodes again, uh, episodes ago, Dan. If Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler does not headline UFC 300, I never want to see Conor McGregor in the cage ever again.
1: It's a bold statement, but it's more than like, be true that he will never compete again if it doesn't happen. Just given how long we've had to wait.
0: So, and yeah. then and then on the other front of it you know it goes back to another thing that i said weeks ago if it's not mcgregor and you've got o'malley at 299 and you got strickland duplacia at 297 and you've got uh volk competing at 298 and islam's not going to be ready till after ramadan who is headlining this card if it's not mcgregor
1: um it'll probably the only other option you really have is uh Either light heavyweight or an interim heavyweight, a title fight, but uh Aspen versus Gone, unless they want to wait for
0: France. So, but that's my point. It's like, you know, I know it's UFC 300, but it goes to that same argument that I made. You know, us as hardcore, you know, MMA lovers, yeah, we'll buy for the sake that it's UFC 300, but you need, you still need stars on that. And Dana just went on the whole thing hyping, you know, oh, it's going to be one of those things like 290 where you're going to look at the start of, the, you know, where to start for finish, it's going to be fantastic. And he said, you're going to see that first early prelim. And like, these guys are on the early prelims. That's a lot of talk for a card, you know, that's four months away. And we still have no idea who's even headlining it.
1: For sure. Very interesting. Although we do have a date and location, April 13, T-Mobile Arena. So that's a, that's a, that's a positive.
0: Exactly. All right. Does Scott Coker promote at least one fight in
1: 2024? Yes. I, uh, think so. I will say yes.
0: As much as he was tempted to not, you know, be a part of the PFL organization, it seems like the PFL wants him and would help to run Bellator. So I say Scott Coker is still going to be around. Okay. Uh, does Francis Ngannou John Jones happen in twenty four? No. No. Dana, you know Dana. He does not do co-promotion. I I love what the PFL is doing, how they're, you know, teasing. They're teasing him back with the same kind of vitriol and the same kind of tenacity. Don Davis versus Dana White. We talk about it, but Dana's not going to let this happen at all. No,
1: no, Not even a little bit.
0: Does we talk about the lawsuit? Does the UFC antitrust lawsuit get a decision? Do we go to a verdict? Is it going to go into fighters' favor? Do you think we're going to, it goes in UFC favor? Do you think we're going to get a settlement?
1: I think it drags to 2025. What do you think?
0: I think it drags as well. I'm going to go with no as well. Yeah, and then I just,
1: I, I just think something's going to happen in the courts. I, I don't know what it's going to be from a legality perspective because, as you obviously know, I did, it, I, I did not study law, but it's not something, something is going to happen in, in the courts. Yeah, court law, you know how listening.
0: this, you know how these yeah, yeah. situations play out, Sam. There's always going to be some catches and appeals this thing's going to drag out even Mm -hmm. mma on point has said it as as quick as it is moving you know at a a rate that we haven't seen even mma on point tommy told that all them are saying it's probably going to go a few more years
1: i mean i mean this has been going on for about a uh, a A decade decade, now a a decade plus now so my my prediction is actually going to be it's going to be done in 2026 that's my that's the that's my guess
0: I'm uh, Probably between 26 and 28, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, lastly, Zan, one last thing here. Like we ended last year's show, what is the fight you want to see happen the most in 2024?
1: I know people I know people are going to ride on me for it, but the fight I want to see the most in 2024 UFC-wise is Jon Jones versus Stipe. I, I just feel like we need to answer that question as to who the greatest UFC heavyweight of all, all time is. and And until we... And until we know that answer to that definitive question, I think the debate is still going to rage on as to who the better fighter is overall. And that's the fight. Honestly, I'd like to see. And then on the, on the boxing side, for sure, I, I would love to see Drew and D Davis versus Devin Haney. If it can somehow, some way get done. That's what, that's what I want that's what I want to see on the boxing side.
0: Actually. It's really funny you mentioned that, Zan, on the boxing side, because... So we're recording this right now on December 19th. And, Zan, a couple of hours ago, Ryan Garcia tweeted, I've advised my team to contact Team Haney to discuss and make the fight happen between Devin and I. And Devin responded, these are facts. So Haney Garcia could be in works, which I might want to see.
1: Wow. Yeah, it's... it's a, it's a big one if it if it can get
0: done, that's for sure, but I would like to see on the boxing front that fight, and as you mentioned, Davis and haney, uh, UFC front, I agree, John Jones versus Steve Miocic. It's goat versus goat. We you know, how many times are you really gonna see that? We need to see mm-hmm. that not many. as much as it might as much as it might not happen to later and it might screw up heavyweight plans. This is one of those fights I'm willing to acquiesce and relent for sure. Uh, and then on the non-UFC front, I guess you want to say the PFL front. I mean, I know Cyborg. You know, we, we, Cyborg responded to us. So Cyborg said, "You know, I'm going to control my career." PFL has not reached out to me, so on and so forth. But all the hype and trash talk with one another. It would be a shame if we didn't get Chris Cyborg versus Kayla Harrison. Let alone if we didn't get if we didn't get Chris Cyborg versus Larissa Pacheco for the champ versus champ fight.
1: Oh, for sure. Well said.
0: So that's so yeah, I think it's gonna be Jones, Stepe, and then Chris Cyborg, Kayla Harrison. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was fun. That's been a long, long year. But it's had plenty of great moments, some ups, some downs. Zan, it's been fun going through it with you.
1: Absolutely. I'm very much uh looking forward to doing this all over again in twenty twenty-four, Tom. It's always it's a always a because you know it and I know it. That's for that's for sure.
0: Same here, buddy. All right. Programming notes. The best of the MMA outsiders. So we've talked about all the in the cage, in the ring stuff. This is going to be, you know, this is going to be a little clip show of our best moments outside of everything. All the news stories. Plus, all the this talking points that Zan and, had, had, and I had. All of that. That will come out on Monday, New Year's Day, January 1st, 7 p.m. Eastern. Or out on the West Coast. The best of the MMA Outsiders 2023. The week after, we are actually going to be off. So you can enjoy the first UFC Vegas card of the year without us. I mean, we'll make our Saturday picks as usual, but we will we will recap that on our return episode on Tuesday, January 16th with episode 67. We'll recap that UFC Vegas card. Any fallout from the Saudi Arabia heavyweight boxing card. Us that we will be previewing UFC 297. We'll get back just in time to preview Sean Strickland versus Drickus Duplicy and the vacant women's featherweight, I mean women's bantamweight title fight between Raquel Pennington and Mero Silva
1: For sure. I'm going to be looking forward to all of that. And more. to thank you guys again for, for tuning into the 2023 MMA Outsiders award show. We couldn't do this without all of you guys. And thank you again for, for supporting us as we went through a banner a year in com- at sports, and we look forward to seeing you all in 2024. Thanks again.
0: Before we get out of here, make sure to hit the like button, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you get notified of everything You're at the Empty the Bench Network. Make sure to follow us across social media on Facebook, X, and Instagram at MMA Outsiders ETB, as well as the Empty the Bench Podcast Network on Facebook, X, Instagram, and TikTok at ETB Network. My co-host, as always, is Sam Bando. It's, he's a staff writer of BJPen.com and MMA Knockout. You can follow me on social media at zambano 99 I'm Tom Albano, contributed to MMA news, advanced at MMA. Shout out to PFL for letting me help with them for the 2023 season. Follow my, find my work, follow me on social media at Thomas J. Albano. Uh, if you are listening on the audio-only platforms, we thank you, and we hope that you join us on our YouTube home, youtube.com. Uh, if you want to take MMA Outsiders on the road with you, make sure to... Find us on ACAST and all your favorite audio-only uh, streaming platforms. And then, of course, go to com for more information about the network, as well as blogs from some of our contributors at the network. So for Zan on Tom, we will see you next week for the best of MMA Outsiders 2023. And we'll see you in 2024 with our return episode on Tuesday, January 16th. Everyone, hope you're having a great holiday season. Hope it continues for you. Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year. We are, and we will see you is once again in 2024 for what hopes to be one we'll, of the biggest years, if not the biggest year in the history of modern day combat sports. We will see you guys soon.